to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I am chatting with two of the fine folks from the CNI, that is the Center for Neighborhood Innovation. Please welcome Catherine Phillips and Will Christian. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rob. Happy to be here. Hi, Rob. Thank you for inviting us. Totally, totally, totally. So um, I want to start off with, as I do with all of the guests I bring on, vital stats. Um, so what's the what's the CNI? You know, for for those who are undipped and don't know, and um, what are your roles within the CNI? And um, and I'll just stop right there. And I have another question, but I'll just stop right there. So what's the CNI, and what are your roles there, respectively? Cool. So the Center for Neighborhood Innovation, or the CNI for short is the shared work and community space operated out of the Hohen & Co. Lithograph Building uh, in East Baltimore at 2101 East Biddle Street. Um, it was a shared idea and concept that came out of the development process and community engagement process of the Hohen Building back starting in like 2015. Um, and it's a collaboration of tenants, um, Cross Street Partners being one of them. It's the company we work for. Uh, Morgan State University and Outlook Animation Studios. Um, and it's intended to be a space uh, a little different than a regular co-working space. We have major tenants, large nonprofits in the city, university partners like Morgan, and then space for small companies that are kind of trying to get off their feet, small companies, small nonprofits, and shared resources in a community where we have networking events and ways to learn and collaborate. Um, and it's also got space available for the community to come use when they are interested or want to have a community meeting or something. And I am the community manager, so I help facilitate a lot of those community partnerships between either our tenants in the CNI and community members directly or partnership partnerships and opportunities between our tenants. Um, we found a lot of cool opportunities for collaboration between them. And uh, a big part of my job is watching that grow as well as making sure the lights stay on and all that fun stuff. But Will can talk a little bit more about his role too. And I'm the uh, community associate for the CNI. So I largely help with like the kind of like community events or community engagement that we do, um, both among that our tenants, but also with the community as well. That's great. And, um, and, and again, I want to thank you. Thank you too. I, I said it off mic, but I must say it on mic. So it's captured. I want to thank you too, for giving me that great tour earlier. Um, it's a, it's a beautiful building and a lot of interesting uh, things going on inside a lot of, uh, a lot of great stuff, a lot of great stuff. I was uh, really impressed. Um, so yeah, um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. So I think um, whenever there's something new, right, um, something new in the city, new things are going on, there's that chatter around gentrification, like uh, people are coming in and just taking our stuff. What are your thoughts on that with respect to your, your work with uh, the Hohen Building, CNI, that, that whole like situation? Speak on that a bit. Yeah, it's definitely a difficult question. When I saw that you put this in here, Rob, I was like, oh, great. Developers love talking about gentrification, but no, it, it's important and it's a valid concern. Um, I think something we think about uh, at Cross Street Partners, uh, the, our projects are exclusively in what we call secondary or non-traditional markets. We're not in Harbor East, um, stuff like that. 
and we work in adaptive reuse solely. So I think a lot of what we think about the first part of it is gentrification is a real concern. Um, and I think it's naturally scary or upsetting when new things come up. I get that being a fear, but I think we often look also at the other side of if these buildings don't get developed. And that's something that we see across Baltimore all the time too. If these buildings, beautiful historic buildings that we have left all over the city just remain vacant and they continue to degrade and the communities around them degrade too um, without the resources that they could hold. So a large part of that for us has been working with community directly and a long and very detailed process of before setting up these buildings. And a huge part of that at Cohen has been selecting the tenancy and the kind of people that are in here, the kind of organizations that we have here. Um, we had a really extensive community engagement process that I was not around for, but I've heard a lot about and talked to a lot of the members that were a part of it. Um, uh, prior to the building being developed and the number one thing that everybody requested and said that they would really like to see in this development was opportunities for jobs and growth and education. Um, something that this building used to offer to the community when it was a factory and a lithograph factory. Um, so that was a big part of us selecting our tenants, um, strong cities, adult learning center, ABC's construction training Academy, Morgan cares, community health center. Um, they all, the majority of our tenants are nonprofits and the vast majority of our tenants pay below market rent. And I think a big goal of everybody here is to be an asset and a resource to this community. And I mean, that's kind of how I view it, but again, I'm from the larger Baltimore community, but not from this community directly. So I'll definitely let Will, Will grew up in East Baltimore. So I'll let him. (laughs) Are you from, you from the East side too then? Yeah, bro. What it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, but I, I, I agree with Catherine and it also being from the community, Specifically, um, I have family members in this area, so I've seen this building in this community go from like vacant and light uh, vacant lots to what it is now with uh, the CNI. Um, and just seeing the transition, I feel like when people see stuff that are new, they instantly think that it's taken away from the community rather than giving back. And that's one of the good things about the CNI is that we look for different opportunities to kind of engage the community involved with our building rather than just being its own beast or its own entity entity, but being able to like find those collaborations to bring them all together. Yeah. That, I mean, that's the, the impression that I got there was just in, in saying it's not because I'm gassing because why would I do that? But it's, it definitely felt like it was a resource for various parts of the community, various people within the community. And I didn't see any of that great gentrification gray that I love so much. These just these buildings that just have this slate mid gray. That's just meaningless to me. Um, I hate it. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about color later, Catherine. Uh, but, um, but I, I think it's a lot of different things in there and it's, the I think the I think the Hohen building being there and it kind of being where it's at now and kind of like for the most part like kind of finished as far as not under construction in that way that it's a sign of a healthy community not a blighted community and I'm saying that as a resident of the neighborhood that's 
been here from when it was still like you know work being worked on to where it's at now and being able to see kind of that that finished product and it looks great inside and like i said earlier like i didn't think it was going to look like that i was like oh wow this is amazing and so speak on like social listening as a as a organization as a part of the community how important has like social listening been being involved in that community because there you know a few different places that have come here maybe arts oriented, maybe not that are about the community say that they're listening, but then they kind of do something different. And you guys aren't doing that. That's from what I can see. So how important has it been to have that kind of social listening and having the community really involved And in like, how was it kind of getting to that point where you can have these conversations with folks in the community to really serve the community? I think it's interesting you use the term. I've never heard the term social listening before. Oh, I made that up. Oh, okay, cool. I like it. I like it. Um, Feel free to steal it. <laughs> I plan to. So great. Um, yeah, I, it's interesting because I joined Cross Street uh, March twenty uh, fourth, twenty third of twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. So the week I went into quarantine, uh, this building we had finished the first floor, Strong City. Um, but the rest of the building was under construction. And so a lot, I missed a lot of the early community engagement process, which looked, I think, more traditional, like a more traditional community engagement process in whatever anybody sitting at home was picturing. I picture like a lot of metal, like a community hall, like where you're just metal chairs spread around and everybody's just talking about what they want. I think it looked a lot more like that. community gatherings looked a lot different before the pandemic. Um, and it's something we are dying to get back to, but we still haven't had. Uh, so it's been interesting for me being in a community engagement role, uh, entirely during a pandemic. Um, so we had to get a little creative with that. Uh, we were lucky at Cohen that we had, a huge backlog of all this community engagement stuff, but we've been adjusting, um, working. I think the connections that we have are really important. Uh, we have internal connections through strong city to the club at Collington square. And we've had great connections with the Collington square neighborhood association, Hoenn bridges, uh, East middle street bridges, Collington square, and then, uh, Broadway East. So we also have a good relationship with the Broadway East, um, community and I mean, broader East Baltimore community. There's so many different pockets here. And that's something that we've been really trying to piece together now that the building is open. How is the best way in a pandemic to offer that same kind of community gathering space, a good space for social listening? Um, and we've, I think, been trying and failing with some things. Uh, we had a big community day in October that was outside. I loved when we had warm weather and we could actually gather together. Um, and I think that was a growing success. We had um, right before Omicron or Omarion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> reared its ugly head. Uh, Antonio Glover had his... Um, Christmas party here. And we saw a lot of different members of the community that had never been here before. I'd heard about it and that was cool. So finding those connections, um, but we're trying to find a way to do it remotely while we have this and build for things in the spring. I think that could be more open. 
Uh, one way we'd like to do that is offering the spaces we have. Like we have 12 meeting spaces and a few larger kind of open spaces other than that. For members of the community, if they'd be interested in having hosting their own meetings here um, or hosting different conversations. I don't know, Will, do you have anything you'd like to add to that? To, that was probably a roundabout answer, but yeah. No, no. Um, I, I, think, I think you hit it. No, I, I think, um, I, I think, yeah, I think I, I agree with Will. I think you hit it. Um, but then also I think it's, it's building, building, like, look, we're, we're a resource. We're extending ourselves as a resource and in a transparent way, like, look, we're here, pull, pull up. And that's literally the vibe I got. Once I got to you too, I was like, oh yeah, I can just come over there now. I'm just going to walk over there. I walked over there like I owned the place <laughs> and it was ridiculous. Um, so that's, that's great. It's, and it's great to hear that. And I can't wait for the, the weather to improve. Um, uh, because I, I just look at that, that whole area as opportunity. I just, that's the thing that sticks out for me. It's just opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. Yeah. So the Hohenboden has a rich history. One of the most prolific, uh, lithograph printing companies in the world occupying a building for over 80 years. What's another exciting fact uh that that it's that that relates to the building and what were some of the challenges getting to where we're at now because i think that that's lost i think that gets lost in the conversation so the challenges of redevelopment or rehabbing an old building okay. yeah 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 okay okay um yeah so rob gave a little intro uh the building that we're in now the cni is in the hohen lithograph building which uh, was built in 1889 and served as the Hohen Lithograph Factory from 1902 till, uh, I told you 1983 this morning, but just fact check myself and it's 1981, I think. Um, But the building's had vacant since then. um, And everybody jokes that it had more rain on the inside than outside. And while, it is amazing how much of the structure is still intact. Um, and Rob got to see a little bit of that this morning that we really don't build buildings like we used to. Um, right. There was a lot of work to be done and it required a lot of public subsidy um, to make a project like this work. Uh, the financials behind Helen have a mix of historic tax credits, environmental tax credits. It's a lead gold certified building as well as historic um, and new markets tax credits. And those put together with that investment um, are how this building came to be. And that and a little bit of blood, sweat and tears. I'm trying to think of a good um, example. Will, do you know of any? You weren't here for construction. Um, Nope, I started this past summer. <laughs> I, I, like, I don't get my hands dirty with construction. Let's be real, guys. What <laughs> <laughs> to me is like fun things with brick. Um, we had a wall in ABC just come down. Um, and that had to go back up with the historic brick. And so you have to find all historic bricks to do it again. Yeah. Um, there was a really significant environmental remediation process that took a long time. And we are still kind of dealing with the end of the building is fine. There's no environmental yeah. issues. We are just still filing all the paperwork. Um, and it's things like that. Um, yeah. 
I thought maybe it was a um, a quiz or something for the ABC when it wall went down. Right. It's like, hey, here's your quiz, guys. Uh, <laughs> and this evening, we, we need you to find these historic bricks and they need to go back up the way that they were. Make it happen. Um, working with historic, I love working with historic consultants and historic agencies, but it is sometimes a little bit like that. If you don't have marble steps, find them. Um, but, but it's great and it creates buildings with, I think, really cool character. And that is something that stands out to me about how I'm all Yeah. So what is a, What's what's an interesting fact that that sticks out there for the fine folks is I re recall you remarking upon some of the original floors that were there and original uh, mezzanine, I believe, um, and uh, and other areas. It was like a safe that you tried to lock me in at one point. I was really tricky. I was like, what's what's happening here? I, I didn't think I was coming here for this. Am I podcasting from here now? So so speak on some of those interesting um, quirks that are there on the premises. Want to go? Well, you can talk about the saves. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Um, well, we have a couple like safes that were historic to the building, but they are deactivated. They do not lock. Rob was not locked in the, in the safe. <laughs> uh, I don't recall. No, I'm kidding. And it was um, fireproof, but there, there's a lot of like um, original flooring from the historic building, and also the mezzanine that Rob talks about. They used to where the work the bosses used to work to um, oversee the workers when they work. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah. A cool thing we've had the opportunity to do is work with, work with some people that we've met that used to work in this factory. Um, I mean, when the Hoenn Lithograph factory was open, it employed hundreds of people that lived in this neighborhood, walking distance to their jobs. Um, we learned recently they had horses here. Um, so a lot of it has been word of mouth, like having, yeah. We've had two factory workers who used to work in the factory come back and give us some stories. And we've connected a few members of the Hoenn family. Um, mm. Some of them live locally to Baltimore and the rest of the family is scattered around Richmond, Virginia. Um, and last spring we had the opportunity to have them all here. And it was really cute. Um, I believe it's Tom Hoenn. His dad was the last director of the factory and he came up to that mezzanine the level with the safe uh yeah. where everybody would stare down at everybody ominously on payday um <laughs> and he walked in and he was like oh this was my dad's office and it is now a conference room uh but it is cool it has a lot of that original character intact so much that he could just recognize it and he was like my dad sat here um and he was like eight years old or something when the company closed. So all he remembers is getting major league baseball cards and <laughs> national geographic magazine ads that were printed here. But, uh, it is cool to see that legacy still living on. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, for, for a nerd such as myself, I was like, this is great. Everything in here is great. I love it. I love it. Yeah. It's everybody stopped by for no other reason than to get locked in the safe and Absolutely. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um so now now I want to ask I got two, I got two more questions and um one is about uh company culture and the other one is about work life balance we all love that right so what what do, from both of you what is your main what what is your tip or best way to maintain like a good work life balance and I think this is just more so apt in a very general perspective like um 
you know, me, I have this idea of stealing time, stacking things, batching things together to get more time, batching similar tasks, things of that nature to kind of give myself more hours. But how do you like maintain work life balance? Is it something you struggle with? And uh, what do you do when you know you're lacking that balance? I think for me, I'm still trying to get the hang of work life balance. Um, just from working in retail, it's like a very different piece. But <laughs> like very different. Um, for me, you know, I try to use my hobbies as ways to like kind of center myself. So I both write and draw. So I use that on times where I feel like I'm kind of lacking as far as not getting enough sleep or feeling overwhelmed. I just draw or write out anything, anything that I could be feeling at the moment. And then I use that to kind of like center myself and regather myself and being able to refocus on the task at hand. So I would say for the people out there, if you have like a hobby that you love or some type of passion that you love, use that as your way to like recenter yourself um, to kind of like balance the two, if that makes sense. Cause you, you've uh, published like uh, what, three, four, four, four works here. And you know, a little yeah. research there. <laughs> yeah, I've published uh, three, three books so far and published a Kindle Bella, uh, kind of story. Um, so you kind of say four, but it's not really a physical paperback. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't know you knew that. <laughs> oh, I, I, I was stalking in the afternoon. I was just like, let's see what's out there. Yeah, well, bodies um, are buried and everything. <laughs> yeah. Currently working on books, four and five paperbacks. So yeah, that should be coming soon. Yeah, and I do all my so, own covers. <laughs> so, so this was a question I've omitted, but since we talk, we're talking about it, I might as well throw it in there. Or, or do you, it, so that's, that's a mechanism. The, the writing component is a mechanism for, for the work life balance that kind of aids in that. Is there maybe a skill or something that you're, you're taking from your, your day to day that you're applying to that or vice versa? Or do they kind of serve each other in any way? The, the writing versus the day to day work? Um, I feel like with the writing and the day-to-day work, the day-to-day work kind of improved the writing a little bit because I learned not only time management, but task management as well. Sure. So being able to like prioritize certain things, um, especially with the writing, but on the backhand, the writing has definitely improved day-to-day like operations just when it comes to like all the fun stuff that we do at CNI, like the marketing and things like that. So I would say that it, they kind of like go hand in hand with each other. Not one do good for the other. They kind of take each other. Okay. Yeah. Working in unison. I like that. Catherine. <laughs> I know. I, you know, I, I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, when I took this job, it was kind of a career change for me. Um, and beforehand, I worked in the nonprofit space, doing some kind of accounting for nonprofits. And I remember I wasn't wild about my job and I, when I lived in D.C., but I felt like I had a great work-life balance. Um, and I really enjoyed my life. I still feel, I now feel sometimes like I've shifted it and I still really enjoy my life, but I really enjoy my job. And it takes a lot of my time. Um, so I do think there's some kind of, I say this because I do think there's a lot of pressure, particularly in the United States or whatever, capitalism, I don't know what you want to 
blame for it, but to like really push yourself and always be growing and work. And I think there are a lot of different ways to be happy and to have a work-life balance right now. I really love my job and I spend a lot of time on that, but I've been in roles that I wasn't as crazy about my job itself, but I loved my life and my hobbies and things like that. I am a big fan of long, solitary, pensive walks and hiking. Um, I also paint, but I do not find enough time to do that anymore. Um, and then cooking is a big way that I calm down, but, and kind of decompress after work, but yeah, I think it's finding what works for you. And I think it's accepting that, that work-life balance isn't an equation and it's something that's going to change all the time. What, whatever your percentage of what you're doing work versus your hobbies versus spending time with friends, family, that percentage is they're always in flux. Um, there are weeks you're going to give more to your job and weeks you can give less. And I'm a big fan of preaching self-acceptance and accepting change. So I think being comfortable with those fluctu fluctuations is probably my number one piece of advice there. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Still time stacking, still in time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is the last real question I have before I get into the ridiculous, uh, rapid fire questions. Um, so what are, and I, and I, it was, you, you touched on a little bit, I believe, um, what are some of the creative things that are being done there, um, CNI, Hohen Building, that are used to develop a likable company culture? Because that that's what I, that's the vibe. It's just like, oh, people are nice here. This seems fun. This is a nice. And, and as you were, you were saying there a moment ago, Catherine, like you you like your job, so I think um, culture is a piece of it that you know people like their jobs. Like you can. I, as I was telling you, telling you all earlier about an offer that came my way and ultimately it's like, I don't care about the money as much. Like it, it's the language was speaking, but really do I like this place more than where I'm at currently? And the answer was no. <laughs> so I think culture is a big piece of that decision. Um, and just any decision related to work and what you're going to do. So how, how is it, what, what does the culture look like in creating a likable culture that, that you're, you're in and what's that culture look like there? Yeah, well, I think that's a big goal of the CNI and for all the tenants that are here is a lot of us are here and have been here throughout the pandemic, um, many because we have to, the nature of our work, um, but it's also a fun place. We have happy hours. Um, I mean, some of the more kind of, I guess, tangible and flashy things. We have kombucha on tap and a cool coffee machine. But I mean, other than that, like we have an animation studio in house. Uh, they are very creative and very fun and they make everybody else look cooler by just being around. They have Nerf guns and Nerf gun battles and uh, Dungeons and Dragons meetings every week and take tequila shots on Fridays. So that helps. Um, they are really cool and everyone should check them out. Uh, Outlook animation makes kids pop culture content. Uh, they have a show on Netflix currently called Kulapari army of frogs about frogs and, uh, scorpions. Is there? Scorpions. Yeah, scorpions yeah. waged in an internal battle for water. Um, and they're also working on a few other projects for groups like Hulu and Nickelodeon. Um, 
So they're pretty cool and fun to be around. I think that we at CSP are also cool, uh, but in a different way. Uh, <laughs> we like to nerd out about historic buildings and uh, <laughs> things like that. Yeah. But, I don't know, Will, are there any other aspects you think are kind of fun about being here? Other than also creative Will's work. Will writing, Will writing his books here is also. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can agree that Outlook definitely makes the culture very, like, fun. Because it's not, and it's not like you have, like, everyone's different. So it's not like your typical corporate co-working space where everyone's to the desk and not talking to anyone and everyone stays in their cubicles. Um, it's like everyone, they come out, they mingle in the common areas. They would, you know, have a discussion or talk about things that they like, whether it be writing or drawing movies or Dungeons and Dragons or historic buildings. Everyone's very like open and friendly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the vibe I got there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's like three people there outside of you guys, but it was that was the vibe I got there. It's because, it was early morning. Did you get here? Uh, it was like nine. Yeah. So, it was oh, yeah. like so Alec wasn't in yet. Yeah, they, okay. they start rolling in around ten, ten thirty. Yeah, they're they're the late crowd. That's the, when the party begins. I guess. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so that's all of the real questions that I have. Um, so let's get to some rapid fire questions. And um, with the exception of one of these, no, you know, we're both, uh, exception of one of these, uh, I have like a group of questions and you can answer them as briefly or as with much context as you want. Um, so I'm going to start off with, with uh, this one. This is for both of you. Um, okay. What is your most unusual talent? That's hard. <laughs> like, is rapid fire? You know what? On the list of things that are not my talent is answering questions quickly and under pressure. Um, no, um, I am deeply into astrology, and that is a side hobby of mine. We've not. You probably didn't find that in your background check on me. I did not. Yeah, um, <laughs> I can pull your natal chart and tell you things about your life. Um, I also pull tarot cards, so I guess that would be something people wouldn't guess about me. So. See, you just pulled. See, it didn't, wasn't that much. It, it's right there. I don't know. If I, it, you know what it is? Is that's not weird to me because it's very much a part of my life. So I don't know if that's my weirdest talent. I wish I had some kind of like disjointed elbow or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I, I feel mean. like Will can juggle. I feel like you can juggle, Will. Oh, I'm terrible at juggling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of some weird ones. I really don't have any okay. that I can think of. Okay. All right. home, your, do what is your weird, strangest talent? Um, I'm a podcaster. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't count. I'm a real estate developer. <laughs> I, I don't know if that counts. I don't think that's real. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, okay, that first one was a misfire. All right, fair. Uh, let's see. Um, what is a, and I think you touched on this earlier, uh, Catherine, um, what is a popular piece of professional advice that you just disagree with that you just find this is to, to be untrue. We're indoctrinated with this notion of hustle, 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 especially now. And it's like, no, nah, you need to have a little bit more balance or whatever that might be. What is that piece of like professional advice that you feel like you've heard a lot, but you find it not to be true? Oh, so many things. 
<laughs> See, that's a lot easier, right? Isn't it? If I could just burn it all down, start over. Um, I think what getting saying, Aries vibes right there. What? Getting Aries vibes right there. Sagittarius with a Leo moon, big fire sign energy, but <laughs> I'm the Aries. <laughs> Aquarius cusp, ladies and gentlemen, cats and kittens. I know you're a Capricorn. I already thought that to myself earlier today. You're a Capricorn on the Aquarius cusp, right? Yes. Yeah, I already, already did the math today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but <clears throat> I also think one that I am still navigating the right balance to, but I think is important is that emotions don't have any place in the workplace. Um, it's something that I feel particularly strongly about. I think being a woman in the workplace, uh, particularly now working in a field that is traditionally and primarily still male dominated, um, yeah. coming from the nonprofit space, I had some really great female bosses, uh, a couple of whom taught me a lot about kind of when they first stepped into their role into kind of a more executive level role, feeling like they had to do things a certain way and to fit a less emotional way of operating or a less kind of my last boss in the nonprofit space was a cancer and she was a cancer in every sense of the word. <laughs> she was had big mommy energy and like was really sentimental. Um, and she said that what felt really unnatural to her is when she tried to be an executive in an unemotional way, because it's not who she is. Um, I think the way I feel my emotions in the workplace is a little different than that. It's more fiery than water. Uh, but, but there is a place for even that for like feeling passionately in the workplace. And I think showing emotion, showing that you care in a balanced way. Um, I think my recommendation is that there is a way to be you in any job and in every workplace and that you don't have to like mask levels of that. That's legit. Yeah. I like that one. Thanks. Yeah. Will, you have any? I don't know if that's just for me, but. I don't know. I don't really know. Yeah. I'm just going to go with Kathy and say. <laughs> the question could have been rougher because I've, I've been shadier and say, describe your career as a rap song. It's like, no, let's not. Let's not do that. <laughs> That's not a question, but I've done it in the past. Pick a rap song or people are intended to rap on the spot? Uh, to pick a rap song, not to rap on the spot. That's just That's way too much. Oh, okay. <laughs> not all of us can do that. I mean, I can, but not all of us. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, this is me trolling. Favorite movie? Scream. Are you going to see the new one? Oh, tonight at seven. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Mine changes all the time. Um, Silence of the Lambs is up there. We talked about okay. it today. Probably hit, uh, for a few reasons, but I love Hannibal Lecter and uh, that I also love Clarice and she went to my alma mater. Uh, I went to UVA doctor. It's not a charm school. That I also have a deep love for Gone with the Wind because I think it's a really complicated movie that anybody who lives in the United States should see. Uh, last two, and then the, the one for, for Catherine will be coming up. Uh, which historical figure do you most identify with? I know it's, it's a rough one. So it's not an easy one. 
because everyone's a little problematic. Everyone's a little crappy. I know. Especially the further you go back, it's like, oh, I really like, oh, no, no, he sucks. Well, he do I even know? <laughs> like, I'm going gonna... <laughs> to. You're like, oh, they were definitely canceled. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> What's un... What cancelable historical figure? <laughs> oh, wow. Wait, is it, I'm not getting older. Is it who I relate to the most? Was that the question? Um, yeah, sure. Who do you identify with? Identify with. It could be their work. And it's, you know, everyone's a full rounded individual. So people have their things. But in terms of how you maybe approach work, approach life, approach creativity, who's um, someone that comes to mind that you're like, you know what? I like the way that they did things. Oh, Shakespeare. No, he's not. Is he historic? Shakespeare? Is he? Old? I was going to say Shakespeare because of my writing. Spend it, yeah, yes, absolutely. Historic, yeah. <laughs> and the fact that we both said the same thing, so I just like that's my guy. <laughs> you have like inverted commas in the middle. Will Shakespeare, <laughs> the third, <laughs> right? Well, it's, it's crazy because I am a third. I love it. <laughs> I don't know. My Instagram hadn't used to be that. My soul is the love child of Grace Kelly and Lil Wayne. Um, that was a few years ago. And so that's definitely not it. Um, I don't know. I would probably go with something basic like Gloria Steinem. She's not basic. I love her, but there we go. I don't know. Love to be her. That's, She's not a historical figure. That's, that's great. Yeah. Just, I can't believe this. My embarrassing Instagram bios. I don't know why. <laughs> please, please. Oh my goodness. Mine's, mine's is Charles Mangus. Uh, for you, if you kids clearly both of you are younger than me and I'm feeling like an old person, uh, definitely look him up. You'll, you'll, you'll get the reference. Uh, it's great. Um, so this is the, the penultimate one. Um, most commonly used emoji. The upside down face. Okay. The laughing emoji. All right. Fair. Fair. I'm always laughing. See, that, that's how I aged out everything because it was like that was a quick response, was not much thing. He's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely the upside down emoji. Yeah, laughing face. Done. I'm honestly not a big emoji user, but I, yeah, I don't know what historical figure I identify with the most, but I definitely identify with the upside down face the most. <laughs> Mine's is that, that red hairy devil ogre thing. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's, I just said it over regularly. Um, okay, this is the last one. This is this is the one for you, Catherine. Uh, so I learned that you're not a fan of, of blue, the, the many shades of blue. Uh, what three colors are your color palette if you had to replace said blue? I I need to amend my previous statements of this. Blue is my <laughs> no 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 the, the the shades that we were looking at are correct, early. but that whatever shades of blue they found are not my favorite color. Um, <laughs> like every other person in this world. Blue is my favorite color. In fact, it's one of my more boring characteristics, but what would be my three colors of choice anywhere or in that space in particular? Anywhere. Anywhere. See, I could have an entire podcast just talking about my opinions on color. Um, wow. I really love like a 70s acid green, yellow and green. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's a very specific green. It is. Some would call it it's like atomic greens. It comes up uh, that color. And white. 
but like a slightly off white and uh, then like a na- rich navy blue. Okay. There you go. I respect it. I respect it. Uh, so that's pretty much all the questions. So you, you, you both did very well on the, the hot seat that is these rapid fire questions. Um, kind of cheated on the first one, but I'll allow it. I'm going to regret, be regretting the Lil Wayne Grace Kelly thing until the day I die, but... <laughs> it's it's great. I mean, I said that I'm a cross between Shinsuke Nakamura and Charles Mangus. Those are two very different individuals. Oh, I would add, I would amend my previous statements to include Divine um, from John Water. Like, if anybody's ever seen a John Waters film, uh, my current Instagram bio is a quote from Divine in a John Waters film, and I would include her. Good amendment, good catch. Um, so with that, um, I want to invite either both of you to um, shamelessly plug um, whatever, wherever, uh, social media, the place, everything, <laughs> anything that you want to plug. And, uh, and again, thank you both for being on this podcast, but feel free to shamelessly plug, plug away. So the floor is yours. Yeah. So um, the CNI is available. We are available to lease for small private offices, small nonprofits, or if you're just an individual um, looking to be a member, we have membership rates and meetings and events rates for any of our conference spaces or larger events. Um, We've thrown weddings here. So if you want to talk about a wedding, we threw a wedding before the building was even finished. But our Instagram is CNI at Hohen. So that's S-N-I-A-T-H-O-E-N. And our Facebook, I believe, is the same thing. CNI at Hohen. So there you have it, folks. Um, I want to thank uh, Catherine Phillips and Will Christian for coming on to the podcast. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So for Catherine Phillips, Will Christian, I'm Rob Lee saying that there is art, community, buildings, revitalization, the end of blighting in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. Mm